Welcome to the Pet Show with Jimmy Jelinek and Dennis Quaid. Our next guest on the Pet Show is the comedian Rebecca Corey. A mainstay within the uber-tight L.A. world of stand-up and sketch comedy, Corey rose to fame first as a finalist on NBC's Last Comic Standing, which has launched the careers of people like Eliza Schlesinger, Craig Robinson, J.B. Smoove, and countless others. In this scramble for comedic fame, it's a dog-eat-dog world where talent scrambles for pilots' development deals and one-man or one-woman shows on Netflix, and a brutal way for an artist to make a living. But more than most, Corey has managed to break through, and her moment came literally through her love and passion for pit bulls, and her belief that these beautiful and intelligent animals were being misconstrued. So in 2010, Corey organized the inaugural Stand Up For Pits live benefit show at the Hollywood Improv, an event that has since spawned seven shows annually, including one in New York, Washington, D.C., Seattle, and Salt Lake City. The show drew comedy luminaries like Tig Notaro and Bill Burr and Big Bang Theory alum Kaylee Kowoko. On the heels of her success with Stand Up For Pits, Corey boldly organized the nation's first one million Pibble March on Washington, an event attended by an estimated 4,500 participants and aimed at ending breed-specific legislation and dog fighting and fostering safe communities for humans and their four-legged friends. We spoke most recently in early August with Corey comfortably quarantined with her pit bull, Angel. So without wasting any more time, Rebecca Corey, welcome to the Pet Show. Yeah. And we're going to talk about, are we going to talk about comedy too? We can, yes. We can talk about everything. You know, it's really, okay. you know, the, the dog or the cat or the, the mouse is just a, a vehicle for a larger conversation. Okay. But wanted to start around your dog, Angel, and wanted to know just the, uh, the history of Angel. Obviously, you've talked about her a lot in interviews and how you came to adopt her and how she was from the the streets and, and the shape she was in when you got her. But where were you in your life when you decided to adopt her? Well, um, I had had a dog named Walter who was rescued from the shelter and he was really young. He was like four years old and he got kidney failure and died suddenly and it was horrific and tragic. and. Um, I was so devastated by it. And I, I did that thing where we all swear that we're not gonna get another animal. And then I decided I would just foster. I would never make a commitment to to take on a dog again. And then I came across Angel and navigated myself toward her. She navigated herself toward me. And she was in really bad shape. Someone had dumped, um, she had a big chemical burn on her back. It was deep and awful and her ears were butchered and she was in terrible shape. and. She needed somewhere to heal. She'd had a knee replacement surgery. And so I decided to take her on and, and let her heal with me. And then, you know, we kind of healed together. And I became, slowly became educated about the cause and, and what was going on with pitbull type dogs and, and the plight of them and how they were being treated, the abuse and the discrimination and all that went with it. Just doing nothing was not an option. I was 38 years old, a writer, actress, comedian, moved out here. You know, I've been doing this since I was 20 years old. And that was what I thought like my purpose was 
was like entertainment and that whatnot, then I, through her, I realized it, it wasn't. It was my passion, but my purpose was to educate, advocate, and save the lives of these dogs. And so that's where our journey began, and I've been doing it for now. I mean, we st- I started doing stand-up for Pitts 10 years ago. This is the 10-year anniversary of it. That first show that you did was at the Hollywood Improv. Do you remember anything specifically from that event in terms of putting it together and the people who sort of started this journey with you? I do. It was, I wasn't a 501. So what I did is I would produce these events and then give the, give the funds raised or the venue would cut a check directly to the nonprofit that I had chosen to benefit from it. And it was an enormous amount of work. It's an enormous amount of work to produce one event. People don't quite understand how much work goes into producing anything. And it is really hard. I'm sure you do. You understand. It's really hard. I did it, but the turnout was amazing. The The feedback was amazing and the excitement about it was amazing. And a lot of one thing that I thought was awesome was that a lot of people that uh, came didn't even have pit bull type dogs or dogs at all. They were just there to support you know, the message, and that is, you know, the common denominator amongst humans and pets that, you know, abuse and discrimination is a serious problem. So, and it's not okay to do, whether you have one legs or two, you know, it's not okay. And so people are standing against that. And it was really incredible to see. Who were the comedians that were on that first bill? The comics on the first stand-up for pits were, that's a good, you, how'd you come up with that question? That's a good one. Uh, 10 years ago, Tignataro, Heckner, Pardo, by Kaylee Cuoco. I want to say Natasha Legero. It was a pretty epic lineup. It is an epic lineup. Do you have like a, like a dog pack? Like, do you have like a dog park group of comics that you, that, that you hang out with? I don't, I said I've done Stand Up For Pits more than once. Some are my, you know, absolute favorite and always want to have them and, you know, they have good energy and they understand the cause and they're amazing. I mean, I love all the comics that donate their time and and talents to the cause. So I'm grateful to all of them. There are some who are more more passionate about it than others, which I, which I love and appreciate. But I love, you know, I love all of them for, for donating their time to help course uh now you sort of i read an interview where you became impassioned to the cause based on the reaction that other people were showing to angel when you took her out for walks like were people just like running away thinking that you had this this monster dog or something is that is that what was happening yeah it was it it was really weird because i was totally uneducated about the cause and their plight and how they were how they were seen and it's really weird that I was because before Angel I had a German Shepherd and and then I had a Dogo Argentino which is also they're both considered you know dangerous they're underbreed specific legislation and in some level so when I got Angel and you know she had the scars and you know she had this appearance that apparently bothered people (laughs) it was really strange to me like just seeing the discrimination blatantly and the fear-based ignorance that was directed at her and me. You know, people would attack me. They would go, why are you walking that dog down the street? And if she turns on you, you deserve whatever you get. And really? they kill baby. Oh yeah. Like it was, it was I was literally blown away. Like, are, are you, there was not a mean bone in her body. And I was like, wow, that's 
that that is the purest form of, of fear-based ignorance and discrimination I'd, I'd ever seen or experienced. And so that's when I really started, you know, educating myself about breed-specific legislation and spoke to um, BSL attorneys and people who were fighting it, experts on it, and was stunned to find out how prevalent it was in the United States and elsewhere. And it's disgusting. It's really disgusting. LA in general is uh, is a pretty dog crazy town in terms of you know how people incorporate dogs into their lifestyles. The politics of, of navigating the dog parks and the sidewalks with that type of ignorance must have been you know difficult. Like people like where people's coming out of the woodwork in terms of talking to you about or everyone wants to tell you what you think you should know about your dog anyway. When I first became very vocal about it and became, you know, an advocate and started really taking things to the next level, not not, not just doing events, but I organized the One Million Pibble March on Washington, D.C. It was the, uh, and I did that by myself. It took a year to do. And, you know, I oddly, I got attacked the most by people in the animal community. Um, it was really weird. It was, uh, it was trainers. It was uh, rescuers. It was people like that that thought, who are you? You're you're just a dumb comedian actress. You don't know what you're doing or, you know, what are your intentions? And it was shocking to see the pushback when someone was fighting openly and outwardly for the dogs. That said, there was also a massive group, thousands of people who were in support and, and were and continued to do the work. So it wasn't really so much people outside. I mean, there was the ignorant people who, right. you know, you know, are are Fear, who live comfortably in fear-based ignorance, those folks, there were those, and there still are. I mean, those don't ever go away, sadly. But it was people in the animal welfare community who were so so adverse to, to someone who they felt, I mean, they all kind of felt like experts, I guess, and they felt like, who is this person? What right does she have to speak on their behalf? Which was very strange. It's strangely, it's a very inherently political community. And it is where everybody has the same goals, but it seems like people want to be like in charge of those goals. Yeah, it's a very emotional based, it's personal to people and emotions run really high. And I understand that they do for me. I lose my temper all the time in it. Dealing with it day in and day out is, is, is at times it's it's unbearable. I mean, we're, we're, I'm a national organization. I'm not just a local rescue in LA. I work with rescues all over the country. We're national. So everything that a, a local rescue is dealing with, I'm dealing with amplified a million times over because it's from all over the country. And, you know, a lot of rescues need to learn how to work better together instead of, you know, my way is the right way or whatever, because more is accomplished when you do work together. But yeah, it, what you said is exactly right. It's a divisive contentious community filled with a lot of emotions that run high in it for sure. Do you work with any of the, uh, you know, so-called celebrity trainers like, you know, Cesar Million, the Dog Whisperer, or uh, any of those folks, have they had input into, into what you're trying to do? No. Caesar Milan recorded a video in support of the One Million Pebble March back in 2014. And I have met him a couple times, but no, I, I haven't used him and I haven't used uh, any celebrity trainers whatsoever. Although Brandon McMillan, I did his podcast, but you know, I've always said that, you know, my, my dogs are 
the pack leader. <laughs> They're the pack leaders in my house. I'm their assistant. That whole, you know, you're the boss. Right, right. The kind of. I've never, I've never quite caught on to that before. How many dogs do you have? So I have two now. I have a dog named Todd and rescued from a, a dog fighting operation back in 2016 my foundation you know communicated directly with the county and stuff because dogs usually seized from dog fighting operations aren't let out of la county because they're immediately deemed vicious which is really sad but they released two of them to me todd and his mom but she her name was lucille and she passed away of babesia gibsoni which is a very common blood disease in dog fighting victims but we tried really hard to save her, but she didn't make it, but I, I have taught. What's the behavioral like rehabilitation process from taking a dog who's been rescued from fighting to bringing it into your home? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that because I'm, I'm not a behaviorist. I also am one of those people that believes that, you know, all dogs are individuals and they all need different things. I'm sure people that deal with dog fighting survivors, you know, understand their mentality a lot more than I do because they're all damaged to different degrees. And so I'm certain that their rehabilitation would be different based on how damaged they are. But luckily, Todd was pretty young. What was the rehabilitation process like for you when uh, bringing Oh, him? Todd was really, really, really broken because, you know, after coming out of the dog fighting operation, he was had lots, you know, tons of fear. And he also had to stay in the, the shelter for 90 days. So that's not a great place for a dog that has been through that kind of trauma to, he never, he, there was no evidence that he ever fought, but he was training to be fought. And so he had to stay in the shelter for 90 days and that's a terrible place to send a dog who's experienced trauma. I mean, you can hardly decompress in a shelter. So by the time I got Todd, he was like, he hated light. He wanted to stay in a dark room. He was scared to eat. He was, he had a lot of fears, fears of sounds, never saw like when he would see wind, you know, a, a branch moving or something, he would drop down. Like he was really, there was a lot of weird things. And so all I did was provide him a safe environment and time. That's what I did. And I, I don't use training methods. I don't, like I said, I just, I just allowed him to grow and be, become who he is and become who he, you know, who, who he would potentially, you know, just let him live up to his potential. And he eventually grew out of it. And he's absolutely hilarious. He's blossomed so much, but he still has, you can tell there's still issues every now and then he gets scared or triggered or, you know, certain things still, you know, they choose, dogs are amazing. They choose to live in the moment, but I don't believe they ever forget, so. Now, did you grow up with dogs? Like, what was your first dog? I did. I grew up with all different kinds of animals. We had like guinea pigs, ducks, and all of that. Um, uh, my first dog was a dog named Jones. And unfortunately, Jones passed away at a very young age. And, you know, my, my parents literally had no business having dogs. They were of the mindset that the dog should be just tied up and not let in the house and blah, blah, blah that uh, kind of mindset that I completely disagree with. So what I learned as a kid from my parents when it, with regards to animals was to be exactly the opposite of them. And I always loved, I had an affinity for animals, you know, just, just uh, loved them. I loved them more than people. I just love, you know, I feel more connected and more at ease and comfortable around people. I mean, animals than people always have. It's really weird. They're certainly less 
wouldn't say they're less complicated, but they are, you know, they're, I guess they're, I guess their intentions are more pure. For sure. With human beings. For sure. Yeah. And they're authentic. You always know where you stand. You know, there's no game playing. No game playing. I'm a cat man. So I, you Okay. Know. But do you see, like, like, what's your view on the, on the, you know, you're obviously a dog person, very strong dog. Yeah. What's your view on the dog-cat divide? Like beta males like myself who have cats instead of dogs. I'm fascinated by you fellows because <laughs> uh, actually I just did a post on social media today. Uh, my friend Mark Marin lost his his uh, cat of 16 years named Monkey who he was extremely close with and meant everything to him. And you know, he's devastated by it. And I, it's not that I don't like cats, I just don't understand them. You know, one time when I was younger, I saw my neighbor had a bunch of cats. She was, they had lots of cats in their house and one of their cats got pregnant, unfortunately, and she had kittens and she like scratched the girl really bad. And I always got scared of that. Like I was like, wow, they can just scratch. Like she got defensive of her kittens. Right, right. And my friend who loved her, you know, friend had her for years, went to pet her or pick up a kitten or was something like that. And the, cat, the mom cat just shredded her arm. And I was like, wow. That, I was always, so every time I've ever, and I'm deathly allergic, which is another thing. Right, but, right. Um, so every time I've ever come around a cat, I'm always like really, you know, cautious. Cause I'm like, oh, they can scratch really, they're fast, they're fast. Yeah. And, um, but I do find them to be unbelievably funny. They're super independent and they have amazing personalities and seem really smart. And I love when a cat and a, a dog have a relationship. I think that's the coolest thing ever. Yeah, my cat is a shelter cat. Tabby's half blind because I guess the mm -hmm. Tabby's gets some virus. So he's insanely needy. Just like if I'm in the room, he has to be on top of me. But inside oh. the the super has this, this little tiny dog. And George has never been outside because he's blind. So when this dog, so they have these dog cat play dates and he thinks he's a dog when he, like they, they like run around together in circles. And I was like, wow, this is some strange like interspecies like matchmaking here. But it, it is really funny to see them play. Cause I've seen the cats get like pissed off and scratch at the dog or, or whatever. But this is very- Yeah, uh, that's so cute. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that. I, I if I, you know, it's a good thing I'm allergic, to be honest, because if I, I mean, I would be, I'm already a dog lady. It would be just a sad state of affairs if I was able to have cats. Yeah, it's a slippery slope. You'd find yourself with like 10 very quickly. Yeah, yeah, I don't need to do that. <laughs> I don't need to do that. How do your dogs impact your your relationships or your, or your dating life? Like, do, do the dogs have to like the person like, like oh well i'm not big on the dating scene so they've never been faced with that <laughs> ever and they probably won't so but if if a certain you know gentleman caller were to present himself that i felt was appropriate to meet my dogs yeah they'd have to like him and he'd have to like them or out what would the introduction process be like like would it be at a dog park like like how do you introduce new people into your life and introduce them to the dogs. Is it like bringing them home to the parents? Like like what is the, the dog introduction process? Just coming over. I don't do dog parks. One of my dogs is reactive and that, and you know, I just also feel like dog parks are just, you're, you're just, it's not a great idea. So I'm not a big fan of those. 
Um, so I would just say, come over. And then they would meet him. And then in two seconds, everyone is in love with them. So <laughs> it's, uh, that's it. Not, not a big to do. Right, right. Now, I'm sort of confused by the word pibble. When did pibble enter the lexicon? Is that like a like a gentrified name for a pit bull? Was that like a like a rebranding attempt, or is that like an actual name for a breed? It's not an actual name for a breed, nor is velvet hippo, sofa seal, farting clown. Um, I call them all these names because it wasn't really that intentional, to be honest. It be, it became a rebranding thing for sure. There's actually the New York. I mean, like a lot of people refer to their pits as pibbles now. For sure. I was in the a New York New York Times article about the rebranding of, yeah, of pibble type dogs. Yeah. That's probably where you saw it. Yeah. I'm happy it did because, you know, like we talked about earlier, fear-based ignorance is, is a real thing. And, you know, the term pit bull, you know, has such a negative connotation because of decades of, uh, you know, being wrongly vil vilified and, you know, ignorance. Uh, surrounding them and all these stupid myths that sometimes when you just change the name, the human brain will see them differently. They won't, you know, identify them as something negative. So it wasn't intentional, not on my part anyway, but I'm certainly glad, you know, it's it's changed the social, Wait, so did you, you know, just the social consciousness. Did you come up with the term Pibble? I don't know. Maybe. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. On Instagram, there's a a huge um i may have i don't know i'd have to i don't know how i would ever know that because i feel like it's fascinating to think about like you could be the like progenitor of a, of a word i mean it's, it's awesome i don't know there's a very good chance yes in the instagram community there's a lot of nicknames for them and stuff like velvet hippo and, and stuff like that but pibble was something that i definitely used and still do to describe them. So I can't 100% confirm that I'm the creator, but I just might be. There's a very good chance I I did do that. And I remember actually when I first started and um, was organizing the Pibble March and stuff, you know, the, the animal experts, they would, they uh, you know, they would come at me and go, call them what they are. They're American Pitbull type, you know, stop calling them these stupid names. And they are I was like- Shepherdshire da da da's. And I would go, yeah, okay, okay, expert. Well, I I never listened, and I just kept calling them that. So you, you, I, I actually just might be the inventor. I was, I was reading about the the march, and uh -huh. you had forty five hundred people show up. And what I found really funny was that everybody was complaining that they couldn't bring their dogs. Did you see that? Yeah. Where did you see that? Was that in like some articles? Yeah, I was doing research yesterday. It was, I, I think it was a HuffPo piece about in like six oh, years. Oh, that I wrote? I don't know, no, but it was it was a quote where you were like, I cannot talk to another person about why they can't bring their dogs to this event. I know. Because I was going to ask you, wow, that must have been a lot of dogs. That must have been a lot of shit on the Capitol lawn. And I that, know, it's common sense. You <laughs> wouldn't bring, it's a human march. Like, I mean, some people still did bring their dogs. Some people just put their foot down and they were like, I'm doing it anyways. Okay. But it was a serious point of contention and it was beyond annoying. Like, how could you, this is, we're, we're doing this, we're banding together as human beings to be one loud voice on behalf of them. 
they don't need to be there. We didn't want to turn the Capitol into a dog park. Yeah. You know, it, it's not what it was about. It would have been mayhem. It could have backfired. It would have been like this pit bull running. I know. And what if dogs didn't get along? Or you know what? And and they don't they don't have to. It's not a bad thing if a dog doesn't like another dog. But what if they just didn't get along? Like what a stupid place to bring a, a dog. <laughs> And then also there's anti-pit bull groups and people who hate pit bulls and they were making threats saying that they, if anyone, you know, that they were going to show up and intermingle amongst the people and drop poison. And if dogs were there, that, yeah. Wait, so there is, there are terroristic anti-pit bull groups? Of course. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's a, there's an, I'm not even going to name them because yeah, I don't want to, emotions, but, but what, uh, what are they? They're uh, human beings who make it their mission to want to abolish and murder all pit bull type dogs. They want them to not exist on the planet. And I find that to just be the grossest, yeah. most heinous thing on the uh, on earth. Why? Because they had bad experiences with the dogs or? Some, but instead of looking at the humans that had the dog or had a bad experience or holding humans accountable for it, they just focus on the dog and go, they're born killers, they're born this, that, and the other, and it's a lie. It's sad and pathetic. It's just like any other hate group. That's any cool. hate group is just, I mean, think about it. So do they troll you? Like, are you dealing with these anti-pitbull people all the time? It's not as much as it was like the first three or four years, but yes, yes, they troll me all the time. Have you gotten any, like, what's the most frightening encounter you've had with one of these people? The worst was during the Pitbull March when I got death threats. Death, uh, death threats, and then they threatened to, um, show up at my events and, and poison my dog, Poison Angel. So I had to have, you know, I had to take precautions, you know, at events and stuff to have, because she was in the kissing booth and, you know, we would give people treats to give her to kiss her. And um, and so we had to make sure no one gave her any treats that weren't from us. We had to, like, it's sad. We had to take those precautions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why it's so important for advocates or people that speak on behalf of these dogs to really be transparent and ethical and do what do the right thing because when you when when advocates fail the dogs they jump right on it and yeah. they they grab it and there's actually something going on right now with like a trainer that is being you know it's a whole thing but that's only one example of when you know when an owner is irresponsible a trainer or any advocate or any person for these dogs fails them they use that See? amplify it yeah and we can't ignore it. You know, people are like, well, don't, don't acknowledge it. Don't, you know, don't, don't tell people that they're, why? We, we can't deny it. We can't ignore it. It's happening. And the person and the, the issue that needs to be looked at is the person who caused, who gave them something to write about, who gave yeah. them the ammunition. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's who's responsible. They're going to hate forever and ever. They've already proven that. It's up to us to not give them something to write about to prove, to try to prove their ignorance. You know what I mean? Now in that same New York Times article, uh, it said that your dogs might not even be pit bulls. Like you gave them, a, you gave them those DNA tests and yeah. uh, there was- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how accurate those DNA tests are. I'll be honest, like for all I know, I mean, come on, we don't know. <laughs> but they're, neither of them are American pit bull terrier. I'll tell you that, Sally's staffy. Uh, I think she was also French Mastiff, and Todd was, <laughs> what was Todd? Uh, you've seen Todd's face, right? He looks like a fruit fat. You've yeah, seen yeah. him? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
French Bulldog, maybe? I got it. I would have to look back. It was a it was a bit ago, so I can't remember. But neither were American Pitbull Terrier. Now, do you stay up on the the history of the breeds or anything like that? No. Like, like, is that no. No. No, I don't give a shit. <laughs> no. No. I I just I just feel like you know human beings. You know, Pitbull is a term used to describe a type of dog based solely on its appearance. So. Right. Last time I heard, I, I have to double check this stat, but 85% of all dogs in U.S. shelters are labeled pitbulls, based solely on what they look like. It's wow. an umbrella. It's an um, umbrella term right. used to describe a type of dog. So imagine that. So here's this dog. Here's this this breed that is wrongly vilified, banned, discriminated against, all that stuff, and they, they're a type. It's a term. Think about that. Like, it's sad. It's really sad. So if you have a dog, short hair, square head, you know, muscly body, boom, it's a pit bull. No. If you see a Mastiff, a Boxer, an American Bulldog, it could be a variety of all kinds of dogs. But they label them pit bull type dog and not even type. They just say pit bull. And as a result, with that label comes all of the bullshit. You travel with your dogs? Do they do they go on tour with you when you like working the club circuit and stuff? I only tour with stand up or pits, so I don't I don't tour outside of that. Okay. Um, but when I did tour, um, the the first you know it was like six seven years maybe maybe even more I can't remember it's all become kind of a blur. I did tour with Angel. Yes, she went everywhere with me in every city and was and and that was amazing. I don't tour with Sally and Todd. I did take them on a road trip one time up the coast to do Santa for Pits in Oregon and then Washington State, but they both hated the car. Right. So that's never happening again. So we just yeah, and this year I haven't toured because of COVID. And yeah. I just want to switch gears for a second and talk, yeah. talk about dogs in general and and, yeah. and Hollywood. Who's on your list of all-time great TV and movie dogs? Do you have a, you know, if it could be from anywhere from Spuds McKenzie to Scooby-Doo, like, do you do you have a do you have a list of favorites at all? Is that something that enters your thought process? <laughs> do I have a list of favorites? I don't, but I have a list of favorite like Instagram dogs. Yes, that's really. Who are your favorite pet influencers? Well, I love a dog named Callista. She's an amazing dog. All of Kaylee Cuoco's dogs are incredible. Do you follow Kaylee Cuoco? I do, but I didn't know she had famous dogs. <laughs> you got She has a lot of dogs, and they're all unbelievable. Um, <laughs> they're they're really really cute. I love this dog named Lola in New York. She was one of my favorite dogs. There's just a bunch of. Instagram dogs that I that I love and and think that are you know really cute and like to see them. Another dog named Lola here in LA. I don't know. You can just you can see who who I follow and right right. And I mean, I'm fascinated by the whole phenomenon of pet influencers and that world. And then the idea that there is an economy built around these dogs. You know that yeah. It's it's fascinating. I mean, obviously it's good for the dogs in general, but there's also like a a larger like marketing universe and like the, these dogs do endorsements and they make money and stuff and it's yeah 
fascinating. Which, you know, it, it is fascinating. And I also, at some point, think that they're, I think people need to be careful too about, you know, the exploitation of the dogs too. Life isn't, you know, I'm not a big fan of circuses. Where's the line then for you? Like, does, does, does the line get drawn like as soon as when the costumes come out? No, are you kidding? Sally and Todd wear pajamas and I dress up for Halloween. I used, that used to be one of my favorite things. Nothing makes me laugh harder than a dog in a costume. <laughs> I love it so much. I like, the, I like the, my favorite is a Weimariner uh -huh. in a turtleneck. So yeah. <laughs> I, I love dogs in costumes. It's just more about, it's not necessarily like that sort of thing. It's just <clears> like if it's drawing the line between, I guess the line is really, especially when it comes to social media, just, you know, people that are influencers with, you know, large accounts and famous dogs, then veering off into the nonprofit world and sort of blurring the line between like, oh, well, my dog, if you like my dog, I also, I don't know. It's just a, you gotta just be very careful with social media and, you know, make sure that what you're supporting and, and what's going on is legit. Right, right. You know, like, you know, those people that when a horrible, you know, hurricane happens or whatever, whatever there's just suddenly like a GoFundMe link that's going <laughs> directly into their bank account. They're like, they live in a different state, but they're like, I'm totally, you know, that's sadly part of the internet. Yeah. You know, a lot of that crap goes on, so. It's a big part of it. Now I want to go back to you dressing up your dogs like what okay okay do you have a closet full of outfits for them oh yeah yeah tell, oh, tell me their individual styles angel used to be like her her jam was halloween her and i one time went trick-or-treating i dressed up as scooby-doo and she was a hot dog <laughs> and um we i'm i'm four foot eleven so i'm the size of a sixth grader so me and some friends went door to door and everyone thought i was a kid with my dog trick-or-treating <laughs> that, that's the benefit of being grossly underdeveloped you must have um, <laughs> i did i did at least a hat it was like a half bag pretty awesome so that was, she just was any costume her very favorite were, were dresses like i would put a dress on her like a dress costume and she would just go insane do zoomies and sprinting it was hilarious sally and todd um their pajamas they they rock pajamas that's their thing right. and there's this company that i love called tooth and honey that does pitbull pajamas that are hilarious sally and todd's i think favorite outfits are these velvet they're kind of velvet i don't know what uh, yeah. material they're, i don't know if they're, they're not velvet i don't know the material whatever they're like soft material with uh, milk and cookies on it they're full body there's nothing funnier I mean, they don't love it when I come at them and go, hey, guys. Right, right. But the truth of the matter is, like, pit bull-type dogs get very cold, very easy. Yeah, they, they don't are. have... Yeah, it's all That's scary. it. Yeah, people think that they're all these, you know, these big, tough, rugged and raw dogs. They're, they're you know, drops below 60, and they're both, you know, tiptoeing outside like they're in the tundra. So, you know, you throw on the little PJs, and they're, they're, they're set. Now, are all of them in bed with you at night, or do they have their own beds? Like, are, are you dog in bed or dog in their own bed? Oh, if I could sew them to my face so that they could be with me at all times, I would. They're with me everywhere. They're in my bed. They're everywhere that I am. Now, you said earlier that you're that you're not a dog park person for 
no. all the obvious reasons. But that, that, yeah, it's all it's such a big part. You know, I, I used to live in New York. Now I live here, and, and the dog park obviously that's its own little ecosystem in New York. And here it's even larger. It's like people's entire social life. Yeah. Uh, revolves around that the dog park i guess i was going to ask you what who the craziest person you ever met in, in a dog park was but since you don't go to the the dog park, i i have before i mean i have i've formed this opinion because of experience right you know it's the bro who shows up you know with his pitbull type dog that has giant nuts and and he's you know he's just you know the dude's in his <laughs> i'm not meaning to like stereotype but i'm probably gonna you know, the dude's all yoked up, just been, you know, he's had his Cheerios and Roids that morning. And he decides to take his pitbull type dog, you know, with his spike collar and, you know, like I said, massive nuts to the to the park and just, you know, throw out. Always the massive nuts. It's weird. And it's absolutely telling of the owner. You're yeah. like, what is it that you might be lacking that you feel that your dog has to have gargantuan grapefruit-sized nuts? And he's like, you know, completely, and, and not only not only that, but it's like the dog is completely out of control. The owner doesn't have any control over it. And then incidents, incidences occur, and the dogs always suffer the consequences when an incident occurs, which is always the saddest part for me. So I believe this. It's not the dogs. It's, it's the people. people. It's always the people. And I just feel like if you're going to go to a dog park, you are setting yourself and your dog up to have an experience that's not going to be positive. And the reality is, as a dog, as an owner who owns dogs that are already vilified and, and you know, labeled as dangerous, it will always be your dog's fault. If something were to occur, if a little doggy was going to attack your dog and your dog reacted, which it would have every right to do, oh, yeah, it's it like, always going to be... Make the papers, pitbull attacks. Yeah, 100%. That person, I've, I see that person every day. And <laughs> dog with the large testes and he's got the tribal tattoo. And it's like... Oh, the tribal tattoo. Yep. I, mean, yep. I feel like I'm describing no. Joe Rogan here, but... Uh, you, you might be. You just might be. You just uh, might be. But uh, yeah, I, I can picture that person exactly. It's That's hysterical. Hey, what's the funniest dog joke you've ever heard? Do you have a favorite bad dog joke? Favorite bad dog joke? Like a dad joke about dogs or a great old Yiddish joke about dogs or? No, I have like favorite memes, like little sayings, like you can't, you know, pitbulls are like potato chips. You can't have just one. Like I love that one. I tell a lot of dog jokes, but my jokes are stories. So right. I don't really, you know, I don't do like, yeah. yeah, I don't do like set up punchline or whatever. I just do stories. So I think everything about dogs is hilarious. So there's never. Have, a, have you ever attended a, uh, a bark mitzvah or, uh, or other religious ceremonies for a dog? I, <laughs> have you? Well, no, but we're working on a segment about bark mitzvahs and... Um, Shut up, really? And, yeah, and, and I've been doing a lot of research and uh, I'm talking to this rabbi from Phoenix. And so apparently there's a, there is a holy day that's dedicated to domesticated animals. And so he's telling me about the tradition of Judaism and animal welfare. And this one's, you know, the, there's the feast of the animals in, in Catholicism. And then this is, there's this, the Judaism tradition. And then apparently bark mitzvahs have been around. The first one took place in Beverly Hills 
in like 1958. So I was just wondering if you'd ever attended a-, a That's religion. insane. Yeah. Is that, so is that gonna just be a segment or like a whole episode or yeah. that's crazy. Episode dedicated to the uh, the origin and history of the bark mitzvah. I found the, this lady who had trademarked the term, uh, who I'm gonna be speaking with, who's a dog entertainer, who did Joan Rivers bark mitzvah, also did- This is crazy. Did Liz Taylor's bark mitzvah. Yeah, it's like a, it's a whole thing. That's awesome. <laughs> I can't wait to see that. That's amazing. When is that gonna happen? Um, well, I'm talking to everybody this week, so hopefully it'll you know it'll be out in a, in a couple of weeks. So yeah, so, I, I've not seen anything like that. So, but do you do birthday parties? Like, like what's the? Uh, I mean, do you, you know social engagements for the dogs versus the people themselves? I did a. I was doing a show at the Improv, and I never knew Angel's birthday, so I just sort of gave her my birthday. The last year, I regret it. I wish I would have celebrated her birthday with my birthday every year, but I, I actually just did it the last year that she was with us. I was doing a show at the Improv, and my favorite food on the planet is Angel Food Cake, and that's not just because her name is it. Like, I, as a little kid, I love. I just love Angel Food Cake. It's. So, do you love Angel Food Cake? I do. I do. I do. Oh my god! I, you can roll it up in a ball. You can smash it into a ball and eat it like a donut too. Just a heads up. So I brought an angel food cake to the improv and uh, all the comics that were on stage and everybody at the end of the show saying happy birthday to her. I have it on video, it's really cute. But I've never really had like a formal, formal birthday for any of the, the dogs. I just think every day is like yeah. a celebration of their life. So, you know. Absolutely. How come you always had uh, uh, big dogs? Did you get them for protection <laughs> originally? No, no, never. I don't know. Uh, no one's ever asked me that. It's a really good question. And you'd think I would get asked that since I'm 4'11". Like, why do I choose to have these giant dogs? I love them. I just love, I just love big dogs. I just like that they're squishy and you can hug them and that they're, I don't know. I just like big dogs. All the dogs I've had have not been barkers. Right. Not that I'm saying all little dogs are, are barkers, but I'm not a huge fan of I constant yeah. barking. Yappiness. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, my dogs are like, Sally's laying right here and she hasn't said a word. She's not interested in the show. No offense, but Hello. she's, uh, she's, a, <laughs> she's not interested in anything I'm saying. She's not interested in, see, she's just, just snoring. I don't know if you can say, let me see if I can get, let me see if I can get a good, there you go. There's Sally. See, look at her. Look at this, look at this chunky flap right here. Does she snore? Pitbulls are champion snores. Oh, she snores like a, yeah, she's a beast. She snores like a beast. Look at her rolling over. She snores nonstop and uh, yeah, they're just quiet. You know, they're just, they're, uh, there's this, um, they're also nicknamed like baked potatoes, potatoes. And I, that's kind of what they, the big dogs remind me of. They're just like these, you know, big, baked potatoes. That's all the time we have today with Rebecca Corey on The Pet Show. For more information about Stand Up For Pits, check them out on Instagram or Facebook, or log on to standupforpits.us. They truly are wonderful animals, and Rebecca is doing amazing work. The Pet Show is brought to you by Audio Up Media, and is written and directed by me, Jimmy Jelinek, and co-hosted by Dennis Quaid. Executive producers are Jared Gustat and Dennis Quaid. Our editor is Bill Marked. 
Our story producer is Emma Rapold. And our head of production is the marvelous Tyler Dorson. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. Meow, 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 meow.